Turn with me to the book of Daniel. If you're in Ecclesiastes, go right through the larger prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I'm going to, I struggled with what to preach this week, and I had a, just this urge and sense to try to encourage you in the midst of everything that's going on, and especially in the midst of the election, and to try to be sure that that our hope is in the Lord, that our trust is in the Lord, that our peace is coming from the Lord, that uh, to encourage and strengthen your confidence uh, in the Lord as we walk through uh, the times that we're in and certainly in this election season. Um, so I want to preach a whole book, the book of Daniel this morning. <laughs> now I'm just going to sample the book of Daniel. Lately, in, uh, in the reading that we do daily, in the reading plan, we've been reading through the book of Daniel, and um, I know I've been encouraged and, and strengthened by it, and the Lord's kind of used that in my life and used that in this season to get me today to just talk a little bit about what the book of Daniel teaches and how that might shape how we think about what's going on around us, especially uh, in this election season and thinking about rulers and elections and all of those sorts of things. So that's why I'm, I'm in Daniel this morning. We will be back in Ecclesiastes next week. Uh, but I titled this sermon, America's King. Because America has a king. Not just a president. America has a king. And I wanted us to look at Daniel and see what the book of Daniel can sort of encourage and teach us during, during this time, how it might apply to our lives. So if you look in chapter 2, in verse 31, uh, Daniel is interpreting uh, the king's dream. The king had had a dream, and he not only demanded that the interpretation be given, but the content of the dream be given, and nobody could do that. Uh, and of course, God had raised up Daniel and, and was able to use him to do exactly that. So I wanted to read a little bit of the interpretation that Daniel gives King Nebuchadnezzar and then we'll seek to draw some lessons out of what we find here and the rest of the book as well as this section. But in chapter 2, verse 31, uh, Daniel's going to tell King Nebuchadnezzar not only what he saw, but what it means. And uh, we'll go from there. And so in verse 31 it says this, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you looked, as you looked, a stone was cut out, by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. <clears throat> then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now just imagine your king, your sleep has been disturbed, and you've had a dream, and that's it. 
And this dude stands before you and tells you exactly what you have dreamed. It kind of gets your attention, right? Now Daniel says, this was the dream, verse 36. Now we will tell you the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, the one to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Now don't, don't miss that. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. This is a pagan king in a pagan nation taking God's people captive. Been an instrument in God's hand to destroy the nation because of their sin and take them captive. He says, the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And into whose hand he is given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom, a bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because it breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. And just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so that they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in these days, in the in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Let us pray. King of kings, Lord of lords, the true and everlasting creator God who is holy and righteous and pure and has no rivals. You are the God who accomplishes all of your purpose. You are in control. Life often does not look like it. But you are in control, Lord. So we rest in you. And we sit before you but this morning and we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts in such a way that you would fuel both our peace and joy and yet also our faithfulness to you in living for you. Make us trust and obey and be joyful in you because of Christ who has lived for us, who has died for us, who has been raised for us and is reigning for us, is seated above every principality and power, not only on the earth, but in heaven above. Jesus is king now and accomplishing, you are accomplishing all of your purpose. Help us to have some sense of a fresh apprehension of you as Isaiah did. Seated on the throne, high and lifted up, with the angels crying, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. You never fail. We sung it this morning. You always are accomplishing your purpose. Help us to enter into that and to rest in that and to trust in that and to live for your glory with joy in our hearts because we have a Savior who is King of the universe. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. It's been a really peaceful and easy season, hasn't it? Yes, that was an attempt at comedy. 2020 will go down in the history books for a lot of reasons. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, still. Viruses, panic, riots. It's been a tough year for almost everyone. It's certainly been a year filled with the unexpected, at least on our part. And on top of all of that, if that were not enough, it's an election year. Things are always wild in an election year. Some of the drama is real and some of it is created. Political theater, fear tactics, lies, false accusations. No matter who the candidate is, if you elect the other one, everything's going to be destroyed. It is truly enough. Mixed election year with all of the other drama that we have going on and have had going on, especially in 2020. It is enough to just draw your attention down underneath the sun. It's enough to make you lose sight of your God and His throne and His purposes that He has accomplished. So my main purpose today is to just lift our hearts and eyes back above the sun to see Him on the throne where He is. Our King. The King of America, yes, and the King of every other nation. The King of the universe who is never surprised, who is never confused who is never wrong, who is never frustrated by man, and who's never stopped in accomplishing His purpose. Jesus is King. And I want us to draw hope and direction from Him today. Why did I pick the book of Daniel? Well, you can see even in the text that I read about, it's about the rise and fall of empires and who's in charge. Who's accomplishing His purpose? God is. But here's a, and I would encourage you, if you don't have an ESV study Bible, that you get one. That's not the only one you need, but the ESV study Bible is not only a good translation, but it has great notes and maps and articles, and it's, it's got more in it than you'll read, probably. But um, the ESV study Bible uh, has a summary of the book of Daniel, and it says this in the introduction. So what is a good summary of the book of Daniel and why did I choose to talk about Daniel this morning? Listen to what they say. The central theme of the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty over history and empires, setting up and removing kings as He pleases. All of the kingdoms of this world will come to an end and will be replaced by the Lord's kingdom, which will never pass away. That's the summary. That's the main theme of the book of Daniel. 
And, the, and I'm going to focus in kind of in the middle of that this morning. That it's talking, it's teaching us of God's sovereignty over history and empires, setting up and removing kings as he pleases, setting up and removing presidents as he pleases. So the focus today is God's sovereignty over earthly rulers and our responsibility, yes, in light of that truth. God is sovereign over all of history, over every empire. And no king, no king or emperor or ruler or president is ever in office apart from him putting them there. Now, sometimes it's for judgment, and sometimes it's for mercy, and sometimes it's a mix-up of the two. But God never does look down and go, uh, I wish that hadn't happened. Now, moral will, yes, He doesn't enjoy sin. But will of decree, He's never surprised. He looks at what's going on, and He never, you know, God never says, oops, like we do. He, ne- he never says, I wish I'd have seen that coming. I'd have done something different. No, he's in control. He's on the throne. And he will be on the throne forever. And no ruler ever hits an earthly throne without God putting him there. And sometimes it's a surprise who hits that position, isn't it? God's in charge of all that. You can't be serious. God didn't want Trump to be president. Yeah, you know how I know? He's president. He didn't want Obama to be president. Yeah, huh? You know how I know? He was president. Is this nation under judgment at all? Of course. Because it's not glorifying God. Just like every other empire that's ever existed. That's not today's sermon. The main point I want you to see from the verses that I've read and the verses we'll look at this morning is that we need to be, while we are remembering our God and His sovereignty, we should vote in full confidence in Him and in accord with the precepts of His Word. But the first and grounding of that is just a refreshing in and an embracing of His sovereignty, of His rule, of the fact that He is God and He is in control. Without that, I don't know how you have any peace in your heart without believing in sovereignty. So first, God's sovereignty over our rulers. You saw it in what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar and how he just, God just laid out the kingdoms that would follow Nebuchadnezzar. And if you read Daniel, you'll see more of that. And in fact, that's why a lot of the critics have looked at the book of Daniel and said, He couldn't have written it because he lived before all these things happened and the book just lays out really in detail what was going to happen. Well, he couldn't have known that unless there's a God who revealed it to him and he did. And he's raised his son Jesus Christ so it proves it's all true. But let's look at sovereignty for a minute. The first point, God's sovereignty over our rulers. And I just said over our presidents. No president ever gets into office that God didn't put them there for his own reason and purpose. Calvin said, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. That's part of his judgment. God's in control. He's accomplishing a purpose. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked ruler, by the way, who took Jerusalem captive. 
Okay, look at a quote. Here's a quote. This is from Steve Lawson. If you're not familiar with Steve Lawson and you've not listened to some of his preaching, I would say pack a lunch because he preaches long sermons, but really good. I'm one to criticize somebody for preaching long sermons. I, I repent. Listen to, listen to this quote. The sovereignty of God is not a secondary doctrine that is relegated to an obscure corner of the Bible. Rather, this truth is the very bedrock doctrine of all Scripture. This is the Mount Everest of biblical teaching. The towering truth that transcends all theology. From its opening verse, the Bible asserts in no uncertain terms that God is and that God reigns. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth whose supreme authority is over all. This is the main premise of Scripture. Well, he's not sovereign. He's not God. And to say he's sovereign is really just saying the same thing as saying he is God. What is the definition of God's sovereignty? You could come up with a few. But uh, here, I'll give you this one. God's sovereignty simply refers to the fact that all things are under his rule and control. And that nothing happens in this universe without his direction or permission. He is a God who works, not just in some things, but who works all things according to the counsel of His own will. We'll see that verse in a minute, Ephesians 1.11. God's purpose is all-inclusive, and it is never thwarted. Isaiah 46.10. In other words, the triune God of Scripture, the Creator of heavens and the earth, He is God. He is God. If he's not in control, he's not God, but he is in control. As R.C. Sproul was fond of saying, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. Everything is used by the Lord to accomplish his purpose. Let's just look at a few verses from Daniel and see, as we're talking about rulers and God's sovereignty over rulers this morning, look... um, Look at what God says in the book of Daniel. God had a lesson for both Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar ended up getting the lesson after he grazed for a while. Belshazzar didn't really get it. And he was removed and done away with. But he had a lesson for them both. What was it? Now Daniel is praying in chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 when he says this is before what I read. But in his prayer, you you imagine it'd be an intimidating thing to go before this king and and do what he had to do. A man who had threatened to kill all the wise men in his kingdom because they couldn't tell him his dream. But anyway, part of Daniel's prayer, um, he blessed the God of heaven and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Now watch, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. But look at that very, in the middle of verse 21. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Who removes kings? God. Who sets up kings? God. Who removes presidents? God. Who sets up presidents? God. He's in control. And Daniel is praying that back to God and blessing his name for his sovereignty. One of the first, listen, the more you're rested in God and the more you're trusted in His sovereignty, not abusing it, but using it well, so it fuels a life of faithfulness, right? The more at peace and at rest you'll be. 
the more you think that chance is in control, how can you have any peace? God is sovereign. He's in control. He gives us peace. He sets our feet on the rock. He is the one who removes rulers and sets up rulers. Now, look at Daniel chapter 4. <clears throat> Daniel is, is interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's second dream when he says this. And I know you're going to have to read Daniel to get a lot of the context. I'm just pointing out a, a few things for you in the book, encouraging you to read it. But this is Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, and he says this in 4, 24, and 25. O king, it is, a degree, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. God has decreed this. You're not going to change this. Now watch what he said. Now this is not good news. Sometimes we have to tell people things that are not good news. And Nebuchadnezzar is a really proud guy, and it's going to take some suffering for him to get what he's going to get. And Daniel's brave enough to stand before him and tell him that. But he says, it is a decree. In other words, Daniel's saying, it's not my fault. God is the one who's decreed this. That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till... Or until you know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will. You are only sitting on that throne because God put you there. It was not you and your ingenious efforts. It was God and he can remove you whenever he wants to. And you're going to get an illustration of that. Because Nebuchadnezzar, if you read the book, stood and said, is this not... Great Babylon, Babylon that I have built. And then he went nuts. He went and grazed with the animals. He went and he, you'll see that in the book until he looked up and realized that there was a sovereign God on the throne. Daniel says, until you know, until you embrace, until you recognize, until you grasp, that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. God rules over the kingdom of men and He gives power to whom He will. He puts rulers in place according to His will and accomplishes all of His purpose through them no matter where they come from. So Nebuchadnezzar, he does graze and he does finally get it and we'll see later what he said at the end of that trial. But he had a son and his son was in power after him. And Daniel is explaining to Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, what had happened to his father, which we just read about. And this, it's already happened by now and he's telling uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son about it. In, in chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. Daniel tells him, he said, He was driven from among the children of men, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he, he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom He will. You think it's pretty important to God that they embrace that truth? Now, and Daniel's talking to Belshazzar. 
And he says, you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Your daddy did humble his heart eventually, and I'm sure he's taught you about this and told you about this. But you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Verse 23, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple, Belshazzar used as party instruments. And that was a bad move. But you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from, from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and stone. In other words, he's worshiping those who are not God, which, you, which do not see, hear, or know. But, now watch it, the God in whose hand is your breath and whose, are, and whose hand are all of your ways, you have not honored. And he was judged and removed and lost his life. See, the clear teaching of the book of Daniel, and I'm just sampling a little bit of it, is that God rules over the kingdom of mankind and He sets over it whom He will. No one is ever coronated or inaugurated apart from the will and direction of the Almighty God. Jesus is King now. He will be king on November the 3rd, and he will be king after November the 3rd. And whoever winds up to be president, it is because God rules and has placed them there. No exceptions, no accidents, no oops. I standing here right now can't tell you who that's going to be. And in one sense, it doesn't really matter. In a lot of ways it does, at least especially in our eyes. But whoever sits in that Oval Office, whether they know they're there or not, will have been put there by the Lord. Let me just give you a few verses of other places in Scripture. And listen, I'm in no way exhausting the list. There's a ton of verses throughout Scripture that teach God's sovereignty and control of everything. Not just some things. Everything. But look at this from Ephesians 1.11. In Him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works most things according to the counsel of His will. Uh-uh. All things. What does that mean? Everything. God works everything according to the counsel of His will, according to His plan, in accord with His purpose for the glory of His name and the lifting high of His Son and the taking of His gospel to the ends of the earth. And that comes through prosperity and it also comes through persecution and everything else. Rulers make a mistake when they try to stamp out the church. It's just like stomping a gas fire. It just spreads it. Yes, some people are martyred and they go to be with Jesus and they've won. <laughs> to live as Christ, to die as gain. But this verse says God works everything according to the counsel of His will. Everything, even your salvation. What does that mean? He's God. He's in control. He's on the throne. He's never surprised. Look at what Jesus said. And this is an argument from the lesser to the greater, and I'll let you go read the context. But He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And now watch this. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, or your Father's will. 
Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's plan, God's will, God's decree. R.C. says no maverick molecule, no maverick sparrow. What's the point of that? Jesus goes on to say, are you of not more value than sparrows? He knows the very hairs on your head. And for some of us, that's harder than others, but nothing's hard to God. God is caring for and watching over His people. He's in control. And certainly if he, not a sparrow falls apart from His will, you're not going to fall apart from His will. Watch this, Proverbs 16.33. A modern illustration of casting lots, I guess the closest we can come is dice. Because we think dice and we roll dice and you know, they come up with numbers. But it was a way of discerning or determining God's will or it was a, some people saw it as a thing of chance just to make decisions. But it says this in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God's not a God of probability. He's not a God of chance. He's a God who's in control down to the most minute details of life in His world. And yes, it confuses us because there's sin involved and therefore there's misery involved and there's judgment involved and we look around and we say, you know, this shouldn't be this way. Right! And it wouldn't be this way if it were not for rebellion against God. And someday it won't be this way in the new heavens and the new earth. But praise God, He sent a Savior into this mess to save us from our sin in the midst of it. But He says every decision is from the Lord. What's the, God's not a dice roller. He's just saying, He doesn't play dice. He's just saying He's in control. He's in that detailed of control. Not a hair falls from your head apart from His knowledge and purpose and will. And that includes what we see and what are really evil things as well as good. People are very comfortable with God foreordaining good things to happen. And they get very uncomfortable with Him foreordaining bad things to happen. And if you can't embrace God's sovereignty in foreordaining bad things to happen, you can't have the cross. Don't you see that? Look at Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city... Now this is part of the disciples, they're part of the apostles' prayer after being persecuted and praying for boldness. This is part of their prayer. But look at, look at what is in part of that prayer. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Everybody was against Jesus. Why? Because he pointed out their sin. Now watch verse 28. Now this is Jesus' crucifixion and death and accomplishing redemption for His people in through those decisions that people made freely and were responsible for. Yet God is sovereign and in control. Now watch what it says. All these were gathered against Jesus. Verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They only accomplished, although they were doing what they wanted to do, they hated Jesus, they only accomplished what God's plan had predestined to take place. The horrors of the cross were foreordained before the foundation of the world. Just because God wants to be mean to His Son, to Father, no, to save a people. 
that had been given to his son. His son lived for us. He died for us and he was raised for us. He's reigning for us. He's returning for us someday. But to do whatever your hand and your hand had predestined. That's what we call the gospel. To accomplish the good news of salvation in Jesus. Christ, God's Son, came at exactly the right time, Paul says in Galatians. Born under His own law, that He might live for a time under His law, fulfilling all righteousness or fulfilling all justice for the glory of the Father and for the good of His people, because all of us have broken the law and we have been unrighteous. We have not fulfilled righteousness. We have not fulfilled justice. And the condemnation of Scripture is the soul that sins shall die. That's physical death. That's spiritual death. That's a place called torment or hell or whatever you want to think of. Every soul that sins shall die. Therefore, why? Because we're not righteous. Therefore, Jesus came and He established a righteousness as the second Adam that His people didn't have. And then He took our guilt upon Himself and He died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So more is going on there than just wicked people nailing Him to the cross. God actually in the process of that was showing forth the Lamb of God who fulfills all the sacrifices in the Old Testament and takes the sin of His people on Himself and not only endures the physical suffering but takes the spiritual wrath from God onto Him for His people. And since He was God and man, He drank that cup dry and could say before He left the cross, it is finished. It is accomplished. Paid in full. And he was under the power of death for a time in the grave. He did not go to pay any sort of debt to Satan. That's falsehood. But he went, he, he went through the grave for us. He was under the power of death for a time and then he was raised from the grave the third day. Victorious over death. For himself, yes, but for his people. He's the first fruits of our resurrection. Since He was raised, we will be raised. And when He returns, we will be changed and we will be like Him and we will be with Him forever. And all of these trials and troubles will be over. But God sent His Son to live for His people. God sent His Son to die for His people on a cross, a particular cross. Think about it. He created the cross, the wood, the tree that would make the cross on which He would die. And pay the sins debt of his people. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised the third day. And that all went through that cross. That was part of God's foreordained plan from before the foundation of the world. In such a way that God is sovereign and has installed the king on the throne. And men were responsible and made decisions that they would answer for. Nobody got an excuse. Judas didn't get an excuse. It would have been better if he'd never been born. God is in control. He is sovereign. We are responsible. But he's in control. They, he, the, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Make peace with good Bible words like predestination and election. Because they're telling you truths about your God who is in control and reigning and ruling for you. Nothing can happen by chance. Look at Isaiah 46, 8 and 10. It says this, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. 
I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. How can He do that? Well, He's decreed it. He's in control. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, now watch this, this is God speaking, this is true. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, not most of my purpose, not 99.999% of my purpose. I will accomplish all of my purpose. Why? Because of God. Now, included in his plan are some very difficult things for us that cause us confusion and we don't always get answers and I understand that. But we have enough in Christ and in the gospel to at least be able to trust him and know that he never does wrong and whether or not he ever explains it to us, we've got a far better thing having Christ and having the gospel. But he says, I will accomplish all my purpose. Psalm 103, 19, got to move, preaching long, criticizing others and preaching long myself. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Everything. The Lord. Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God. His throne is established. There are no threats to it. He's ruling and ruling over everything, even those who are placed in power. Look at Daniel 4.35. This is Nebuchadnezzar saying what you know, he's learned after his trial. He says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. You know, irrationalism is replaced by rational thought, thinking God's thoughts after him when we look to him in faith and trust in him and believe him and his words. He says, My reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives. He stopped praising Himself now. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Psalm 115.3 says He accomplishes all of His purpose. All of his purpose. The exact person. I mean, just from this little sampling of verses, we see God's sovereign control, that he gives power and removes power at his, as is accord with his will and his plan. So in our current situation, part of the application would be that the exact person whether it be for judgment or blessing, the exact person that God has decreed will be elected and serve as the next president of the United States of America. From heaven's view, it's not in question. Every ruler that makes it to the throne makes it to the throne because God put them there. Now, I know we don't have kings and thrones, but we have White Houses, and, right? And they're starting to act more and more like kings the more of them we have. But every president that's ever sat there in that seat was put there by God. And the exact person that God has planned to fill that position after November the 3rd or whenever they quit fighting is according to His purpose and plan. So, secondly, our responsibility. This will be a lot quicker. 
our responsibility under God's sovereignty. Well, here's, here's how our human brains think, right? Well, if God is sovereign, then why vote? If God's in control, if He's going to put whoever He's going to put on the throne, why go vote? If God is sovereign, why pray? Why evangelize? If God is sovereign, He's decreed the number of days you will have before you die. Why breathe? If God is sovereign, why feed your children? I'm not telling them not to, kids. They feed you because they love you. But this God, the God who is sovereign and sitting on the throne and who has foreordained the ends has also foreordained all the means to those ends. And those means include our free and responsible choices. He is so great and glorious and His mind can conceive and he can, there can be a responsibility for us and a sovereignty with God. There can be a freedom of choice. For, we can't work all that out in our heads so we try to use one to wash away the other. Right? But they coexist. God has, ju- has justified the means to the ends. When, when Mr. Sproul, Dr. Sproul, was in Dr. Gershner's class, and Dr. Gershner was saying, if, if God is sovereign, why evangelize? And none of the students wanted to answer. He called on Dr. Sproul, who was not Dr. Sproul at that point. He was just a student. And said, Mr. Sproul, what do you think? And, and R.C. said he was so intimidated and shy to answer that he barely spoke it up. But what Sproul said was, because he commanded us to. Before he said it, he said, I'm not sure if this is the right reason or I'm not sure if this is a good answer, but because he commanded us to. And Dr. Gershner, in his gruff voice, Mr. Sproul, I say that's a fine answer. Yes, God, who's watching over us and providing for us and directing us, who is in control of everything, has given us His commandments. We've read that in Psalm 119. And if we love Him, Jesus says, we'll obey His commandments, we'll trust Him. And He has commanded us to pray. He's commanded us to evangelize. He's commanded us to do whatever. Not only that, He's promised that He works through our prayers and evangelization and all of that to accomplish His will. But just in a general principle, God says, love your neighbor. God says, be a good citizen. God told the Israelites to pray for and work for the prosperity of the nation they were going into captivity in, Babylon. Loving our neighbor. Working for the good of the city, county, state, nation He's placed us in. He expects us to be light and salt, and surely the main way of being light and salt is being gospel people and sharing His gospel. But one of the ways we are light and salt is just simply loving our neighbors and doing what blesses them. And what blesses them is us being good citizens, and part of being good citizens is taking advantage of the freedom He's given us and casting our vote for president. We don't have to understand how all that works in conjunction with His sovereignty. We just know and trust He's sovereign and we seek to live for Him according to His Word knowing He's got it. And He's got us. Because we are commanded to live for Him in everything, we are responsible to use the freedoms He has given us in a way that glorifies Him. Many people down through the ages would have, in an old southern saying, given their eye teeth to be able to vote for or against. You have a freedom. Therefore, you have a responsibility to exercise it well 
And to exercise it well is to exercise it in submission to God who has given us His Son and who has given us His Word and who has given us His Spirit. Let me give you three. If you haven't already voted, I think if you've voted and you have some regret, you can change that. I don't, that's what I hear. A lot of people have voters' remorse. But here's some three things to do to vote. I'll give a couple things and I'll be done. First, pray. 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 Pray for those in power and for those who will be in power and pray for God to direct you according to His Word, to give you wisdom so that you can honor Him with your vote. Make it a matter of prayer. Please. Read. Don't just pray and go vote. Read. What do I mean by that? Scripture. Which person and which party best lines up with Scripture? Jesus is not running, so there's not going to be a perfect candidate no matter who you choose, right? I get a little sick of the lesser of two evils clash and all of that stuff. Fallen people are running for office. But behind fallen people are fallen parties and the rest. When you pray, then read Scripture. You vote for the person who most stands for what Scripture stands for. You vote for the, for the party that most stands for what Scripture stands for. Which party most lines up? Not I say perfectly. Jesus' party lines up with this perfectly. And we'll be in the new heavens and new earth and we won't have any more sin. But who can you support that most speaks the truth and lives the truth and promotes the truth? Person. See, we get so caught up in personality, don't we? We're not electing a model. Or whatever. I'd rather have a mean person who enacts policies that line up with God's Word than a really sweet person who's the devil incarnate. I didn't say anybody running was the devil incarnate. I'm making a contrast. I wonder sometimes. But, but which party? And, and look past the person you're voting for. What is their party platform? I'll let you go read, but one of the platforms seem to have been taken directly from Romans 1 in the things that God condemns. One of the party wants no restriction on abortion up through birth. One of the parties is in support of all the sexual immorality that stands directly against God's Word. One of the parties is moving very quickly towards socialism. You need to know these things. Read their platforms. Read and vote for people who not just look good and sound good, but who stand for truth. Some people look bad and sound bad, but stand for truth. Some people look good and sound good and stand for evil. Requires some discernment. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I've come as close as I'm going to come to that this morning. But you stand responsible before God and before your neighbor to take this seriously. Make it a matter of prayer. Search it out with Scripture and vote for the person and party that you think best represents what Scripture teaches. And for me, on the top of that list is life. I can't vote for anybody that will continue the Holocaust of on the children that's happening in this country that will take this country down if it's not repented of. Just that single thing will take this country down if it's not repented of. And I'll say, having mentioned that, if you have been part of having an abortion, that doesn't mean you're condemned. There's grace for that. True repentance and faith in Jesus. There's forgiveness and cleansing 
and purpose in life. There's no excuse for it, but there's grace for it. There's mercy for it. And some of you have experienced that. So pray, read Scripture, and then go vote. You have a responsibility of God to vote, to make your voice heard, to make sure your voice lines up with God's voice in His Word. So rest in God's sovereignty and in His grace. Hope in Him and not in man. So one of the things that's got the church off center a little bit is we've gone down through sort of hoping in people and hoping in the political process. And if we can just get the right people in place, everything will be good. No, without repentance, this slide's going to continue. So pray for revival. Hope in God and not in man. Rest in His sovereignty and His grace. Live and vote for His glory according to His word. You have one vote, cast it. Cast it in faith. And proclaim Jesus as king to a world in turmoil. Talk about Christ. America has a king. And no matter who's in the White House after the next inauguration, Jesus is still going to be on the throne. And still going to be accomplishing all of His purpose. My point in pointing you to God's sovereignty this morning and a little bit about the vote is that you might have peace. An increased peace in the midst of this tumultuous season and every other season. And that you might walk with the confidence that Jesus is on the throne. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Cut my head off or crown it, I win. Not because of me, because of Him. Live with that kind of confidence. And you'll be useful. Jesus is America's King. He's the whole world's King. And He will reign forever. Next week, back to Ecclesiastes. To live is Christ. Lord, help us. It's easy to say. It's hard to live out. But you are working that in us through your salvation, which is a work of your grace to bring us to faith in Christ and to grow us in grace in Christ. Lord, as the disciples were praying, I pray that you'd give us boldness with the gospel to proclaim to those around us that Jesus is King. And he's a glorious king who has lived for his people, died for his people, been raised for his people, is reigning for his people, and is coming again for his people. That Jesus is a king who always does right, who's clothed in righteousness and surrounded with glory. A king that we can trust. So help us to speak your gospel. Help us to live for you and growingly live lives that honor you and honor your word. And Lord, in this season... Help us to vote in a way that glorifies you. And then help us to trust. Because all of your purposes will be accomplished. Your throne is established. Your will will be done. Your gospel will go to the ends of the earth. So no matter who occupies that office and the other offices, we know we look higher We look above the sun to our glorious King who reigns and will reign forever. Save and sanctify your people. Honor and glorify your name. Thank you for the knowledge from your word that you work out everything according to the counsel of your will, including the sacrifice of your son, that he might save us from our sin and from the just judgment that would come from that. Thank you that in him, 
We are cleansed from our sin, clothed in His righteousness, filled with His power, walking and have a sure and true standard, which is your word, to live in love for you. Help us to do so. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.